This podcast is a proud member of the CypherCast Network. Discover more at CypherCast.net. And follow us on Twitter at CypherCastNet. Greetings, this is Jim Ryan with the CypherCast Network. On behalf of both Incantations and the CypherCast, we now present you with the audio from the Invisible Sun panel from Gen Con 2017. The panel was led by Marty Cook with Bear Weider and Sean Reynolds. During the first 20 minutes or so, they showed slides that you'll hear them referring to on the recording. If you want to see those, there's also a video of this panel that someone put up on YouTube. You just go to YouTube and do a search for Invisible Sun Gen Con 2017 and you should be able to find it. After the panel ended, as we were filing out the door, they gave each of us a puzzle piece. An actual physical piece of a jigsaw puzzle that we all sort of crowded around a little table outside afterward and tried to put together. It was a fun little clue that we got for the setting, and the final image is actually pretty interesting. Uh, What we had of it, we didn't have all of the pieces. As it turned out, I think a few folks absconded with their puzzle pieces before they realized that was something we could all do right then and there. There may be some images of that finished puzzle showing up online. I don't know if they're going to put that image in the show notes when they upload this, but if you do happen to come across it, it is pretty cool. And it's a bit of a mental puzzle you have to figure out also yourself after you see what all the pieces together mean, because there are words in a strange order and you have to figure out what the sentence actually spells out. As it is, I am more excited than ever for the Invisible Sun setting to be coming out. I cannot wait to get my hands on it and start digging in to see what's going on with it, and hopefully getting a game together. But for now, without further ado, here is the audio from the panel Learn the Secrets of the Invisible Sun from Gen Con 2017. We hope you enjoy it. Kickstarter uh, last year, we made the announcement of Gen Con this time last year, and uh, what I wanted to do today is kind of delve a little deeper into some of the secrets and the, and the material in the Invisible Sun, give you some sneak peeks and some stuff that we haven't shown anybody yet, and, uh, and then just talk about that, and then we'll uh, answer your questions. If you are brand new, if you if you like, I don't know what this Invisible Sun thing is, uh, I'm, I'll do my best to make sure that you get caught up, but uh, it, we're, we're going to kind of dive right into the deep end a little bit here. Uh, and we're going to uh, start with some, some cool uh, artwork. So some of this you will have seen, some of these first ones, because they are images from the Sooth deck. Sooth deck, of course, is the uh, set of 60 round cards that comes with the game. Um, they, they are used mechanically in the game. You play them uh, as the as the session goes along. You play the game, uh, play the cards. The cards will dictate changes and fluctuations in magic. Uh, but they also all have story and divinatory meaning that the game master can use if uh, he or she wants to. So, uh, you know, if you just need a little inspiration and you've just turned over the devil card, which is what that is, um, then uh, that has some specific meanings. Some of them obvious, like, that's not a very nice guy. Um, But, you know, uh, the devil also represents 
uh, temptation, seduction, uh, and lots of different things. Um, it's almost, if, you, if you're at all familiar with the tarot, um, the Sooth deck will end up being a little bit like that. And uh, each card has a number of different meanings. And you'll actually find that uh, uh, what we've done is we've created so that they have uh, an interpretation. If you actually want to do like a, a tarot-like reading with divination and predict someone's future, it doesn't really work, though. <laughs> uh, or uh, they all have uh, game meetings. And one of the things that, that you'll learn about Invisible Sun is that there's a number of kinds of, uh, I guess what you would call experience points. We don't use that term in Invisible Sun. And two of those kinds are joy and despair. And so, for example, um, each card has uh, a particular meaning if you want it to be more joyful or to give somebody to some despair. One of the interesting things about joy and despair is that it sounds like you only want joy, but actually you want both. Because, you know, we all learn as much from failure as we do from success. And what we're trying to portray here is a, you know, stories like, like we see in books and, and on, on TV and in movies. And, you know, that isn't all good stuff that happens to those people, um, you know. And so to make interesting stories, bad things have to happen. That's why we have despair. Uh, that's the angel card. That's one of my favorites. Oh, and then we're into the map. Right. No, that's, that's okay. Let's go ahead. All right. So um, those are suit cards. Now we're into the stuff that no one's ever seen before. So uh, what this is, um, can't really make out too many details, but this is a section of one of the nine suns, and this is a section of the indigo sun. Now, you probably remember that we've got uh, the, the path of suns, which sort of shows the, the different levels of reality or planes of existence or worlds that exist within the actuality, which is the setting of Invisible Sun. And each one of them has a color. And moving along the path of suns has, has significance, and each one of the suns has its own meanings. Indigo means truth. It means information. Uh, it, it, it means understanding. And uh, we've focused in, while, while we have a lot of stuff for all the different suns, we've really focused in on indigo, because indigo is where the city of Saturine is. And Saturine is almost certainly where you will start your invisible sun. Uh, I don't use the word campaign, we use the word narrative. Uh, it's almost certainly where you'll start your characters uh, in their narrative. And uh, it, is a, it, is, it is called the City of Notions. And that is because, uh, you know, it's, it's at the center of the Indigo Sun. Indigo Sun is about understanding. It's about truth. So they actually use ideas as currency here. Um, the, the, the currency uh, are, are called orbs. And orbs actually contain, each orb actually contains an idea. And so that means that you can literally... Uh, crack open an orb and get an idea, or you can, you know, spend it like, like different kinds of currency. And uh, they also trade in emotions. You can buy and sell emotions here, 
And emotions uh, can be used in a lot of different ways. Uh, some people just kind of use them for themselves. Some people kind of get addicted to certain kinds of emotions as they're, you know, really overdoing, ODing on, you know, happiness or whatever. Um, but they are also important components in most of the sorts of long-term magic, the kind of rituals where you're. Uh, you know, you're not just casting quick spell, but you're actually doing a major thing that has uh, uh, all kinds of different components. Uh, emotions are often a big part of that. So if you are beseeching uh, the help of, you know, maybe some not quite so nice spirit, uh, you might actually need to incorporate some emotions of hate or revenge or something like that in there. So that's, what, that's one of the main um, reasons for Saturnine to exist. Saturnine, I could go on for a long time about Saturnine. Um, Saturnine uh, is where your characters were uh, originally, and then there was the war. And when the war came, most of the Vizlay, which are the player characters, uh, most, most Vizlay fled, and they fled into shadow, and... Most of them got caught up in the illusion of shadow, and, uh, and, and, and shadow is, of course, what we think of as the real world, and they found it so compelling that people forgot the truth. They forgot the actuality. They thought all of this was real, and uh, you, as player characters, have been rescued out of shadow, brought back to the actuality, almost certainly to Saturnine. Um, but Saturnine suffered pretty heavily during the war, so uh, you'll see a lot of places on the map which are just kind of these horrible black and red smudges and whatnot. Those are called the Ruined Expanses. Um, Saturnine was probably a city at one time of maybe 10 to 15 million people. Now there's probably a population of about 1 million. Um, so it has, like I said, really suffered during the war. But the war is over, and we are uh, rebuilding. And so, um, slowly we are reclaiming these, these ruined expanses. The problem with the ruined expanses, of course, is that the weapons used in this war were so horrific that they left behind, within the ruins, they left behind these things called hate cysts. And these things are still spawning out horrible monstrosities and, and, and evil spirits and whatnot. So uh, lots of time, Vizlay are uh, employed to go into the ruined expanses and clear out a hate cyst uh, so that that area of the city can once again be rebuilt and reclaimed. Uh, now we're going to see some parts of Saturnine. This is a weird one to start with. Uh, <laughs> uh, this is actually uh, beneath the city, um, and uh, this is this is a district. Um, and uh, uh, my mind is just gone blank. The Undersling. Uh, the Undersling. Thank you. Right. So uh, <clears throat> the Undersling is literally. A rock suspended in a giant cave, and it's probably a little hard to see from this uh, image, but there are all these ropes and chains, and they are connected and holding this, this district of the city up uh, inside this giant cavern um, suspended over a, a great fall. Um, but the problem with uh, the Undersling is that it has a strong connection to the Red Sun, and the Red Sun is all about destruction. 
So, uh, unfortunately, all these chains and ropes and stuff keep snapping and breaking, and they have to keep erecting new ones. And so that's like a full-time job for people, just keeping the undersling um, suspended. Slump. <laughs> Slump. <laughs> uh, all right, so this is another district um, in Saturnine. This is uh, in the Hollows, I believe. Uh, no, I'm sorry. It's in the... Uh, it's in the... Uh, the Zardim. Zardim is a district where uh, some of the uh, buildings are actually enormous origami. And uh, the what this thing is called is the Gael. And the Gael is this statue. It's been in Saturnine for a really long time. And the thing about it is uh, it moves. And so people have kind of figured out what it's path is, what its normal path is, mm -hmm. and they sort of ride it like a city bus. <laughs> uh, Alright, so this is uh, another district in Saturnine called Rivenholm. Uh, Rivenholm is, uh, is kind of a dark, oppressive place. The, uh, the people who rule over Rivenholm um, are kind of despotic, and the people are exploited. Uh, this is just a really cool image. We are out of Saturnine now, um, and so uh, that's a, a possible way to get around. Um, a, a popular entertainer in Saturnine. Yeah, this over to the different suns. Okay, this is uh, this is a shot of the green sun. Um, and uh, the green sun is all about life and growth and health and nature. Uh, there aren't any permanent structures in the green because the plants and whatnot uh, grow so fast that it would just consume anything you would try to build there anyway. And uh, so it's a vibrant but dangerous place because of that. And to be, to be really uh, more specific about the suns, um, so the way it, it's, it is both true and untrue that there are nine suns, um, because really there's just one sun, and it has different sort of phases. It has different uh, aspects, um, but, they, but each one of them, each one of these colors uh, shines down upon a different realm. So that's why when I say this is the green sun, um, it's actually the realm illuminated by the green sun. And when, you know, when I say the indigo sun, it's actually the realm beneath the indigo sun. Um, but because we're, we're dealing with sort of metaphysics here, it, there's, there's one sun and there are nine suns. This is the pale, which is uh, beneath the pale sun. Pale is the land of the dead. And uh, this is uh, a city in the, in the pale. It is actually, because, because Saturn suffered so much in the war, this is now the largest city in the actuality. This is the red. Uh, uh, red is uh, the, a realm of destruction, but, but it's also just a realm of change. Um, and, and not all change is necessarily violent, but... Uh, but a lot of it in the red is. Uh, this is where uh, a lot of beings that we refer to as demons live. Um, but, but people live there too and, and have adapted to the place. But as you can imagine, 
um, they are uh, they are shaped by where they live, and so they have uh, you know, there are, there are different groups of people, and they have names like the broken. Uh, this is under the gold sun. Um, one of the so humanity obviously is as you've probably seen from a lot of the imagery um, is is the dominant people or are the dominant people. But there are other peoples uh, in the actuality, and one of them are called Elderbrin. And what you see here actually is uh, a camp of Elderbrin. Elderbrin. Uh, they change their shape uh, like we change our clothes. They are uh, they are fluid in in appearance and form. Um, but they uh, but the one thing that they never ever will look like is a human. Uh, they they find that really distasteful. <laughs> Uh, let's see, so this is the Guardian of the Red Sun, I think. Yes. Um, so each one of the suns has uh, a, a guardian or a warden. Because when you're going to enter a new sun, uh, when you're going to enter the realm of a new sun, you have to pass through a gate. You have to, and it's, it's a literal gate. Um, and you have to... Uh, Pay homage to, or or uh, uh, make some kind of of payment, or do a service for the warden of that sun in order to enter their realm. Oh, and here we uh, we're sort of back to uh, Indigo actually, because this fine fellow uh, is known as King Nine, and. Uh, if you are if you uh, are going to partake in the directed campaign of Invisible Sun, um, which is uh, something that that we still have available as pre-order, but it was part of the Kickstarter. It's where uh, uh, we, we will, on a monthly basis, be giving you more and more uh, material and, and and leading you along um, through a through an entire campaign. Um, if that, if you are partaking in that, you will absolutely run afoul of King Nine. Um, King Nine is uh, not a good guy. He is, uh, he's not a god, but he is an extraordinarily powerful being. Um, there are uh, flowing through the path of suns. There are currents of magic, and uh, each one of them has a different application, and King Nine is actually trying to harness one of them all by himself, which is an extremely audacious thing to be doing, but the scary thing is is that he might actually pull it off. Uh, this is another favorite guy. This is uh, uh, an NPC called the Eldest. So there are a, a, a trio of divine spirits, and they live in Saturine, and they, uh, together they're called the Whelm, uh, and they are three brothers, and he's the eldest, and he's called the eldest, and he uh, is a, he is, he represents storms, and uh, he is in many ways sort of a, a living storm, but at the same time is uh, quite the gentleman, and um, has, be, like most uh, of the spirits and the powerful entities in the actuality, 
Uh, his actions are governed by a lot of pacts and agreements that, that were long ago made with mortals. And uh, so he is bound by various things. For example, uh, in the uh, playtest that I've been running, the player characters uh, learned that uh, he was bound by an agreement long ago that upon a particular day of, the, of a particular year, there was uh, a party, and he's invited to it and treated well uh, that he would grant them a boon. And uh, the, the player characters kind of took advantage of that and, and actually uh, got protection from the other fellow we were just looking at, King Knight. Uh, this is another very powerful entity in the actuality. Um, she is just simply referred to as her elegance. Uh, she is a resident of the Gold Sun. Uh, you can see she's got these weird little servitor dudes um, that kind of just make sure that her her dresses train is is always looking nice and uh, and whatnot. Uh, but she is all about beauty and elegance, and uh, uh, she's a little conceited. <laughs> uh, There's another NPC. Um, he he can't really see too well, probably in this. But uh, his his eyes are are all black and filled with stars, um, and he is he's actually. A, probably going to be uh, a rival and opponent to your player characters. His name is, is Manfred, but everyone calls him Dark-Eyed Manfred. And uh, he's... He is... He is someone who people can hire to do pretty terrible things, and he will do them, but he has an interesting backstory of why that actually is. This is an angel of anarchy. Not all angels are necessarily sweet and good, but but she's still an angel. <laughs> this is an, uh, another Elderbren. Um, like I said, they can they can pretty much take whatever form they want. <laughs> um, yeah, so th there are lots of weird creatures uh, in the actuality, uh, and this is one of them. Uh, this particular creature um, is uh, only interested let me see if I'm getting this right. Uh, yeah, he is only interested in the left side of things. And uh, so that's why he's got this big claw on the right side, because he will only attack your left side. So uh, it is, uh, you know, figuring out a way to defend against his horrible, horrible attack, uh, you know, requires a little bit of cleverness. And now we are uh, going to finish up with the, uh, these are the pre-generated characters. And uh, you've probably seen these in the Kickstarter uh, as the figurines that we are, are making in addition uh, as add-ons for the Kickstarter. But these are the, the full pieces of art that will go on their character tones. And so we have one of each of the uh, five orders, which I haven't even talked about yet, I realize now. Um, <laughs> and that is it. All right. So that uh, is a little bit of a visual uh, uh, introduction, or, or probably more than introduction, to uh, Invisible Sun, uh, or at least the world. Um, 
So I also wanted to talk just a little bit about the game and the gameplay itself, and uh, then I will be uh, super happy to open things up to questions. So <clears throat> one of the really most important things about Invisible Sun to, to recognize is that uh, compared to the way most role-playing games run, uh, the dynamic is kind of turned upside down. And here's what I mean by that. In most role-playing games, uh, the game master comes up with a story, comes up with a, a, a plot and whatnot, and, and things for the characters to do, and then puts hooks in front of the player characters, hoping that they'll snag one of them and, and get taken into the adventure uh, where everyone will have a great time. Um, and we all kind of know that, and so when we're playing the game as players, we say, okay, here's, here's the hook into the adventure, let's, let's play. Uh, Invisible Sun doesn't work that way. Invisible Sun, uh, every character has at least one story arc, I'm sorry, character arc. And character arc might be something like, uh, well, well, all the character arcs uh, that, are, that are presented in the book are all very general, and they're meant to be uh, made more specific for you. So there's a revenge story arc, right? Someone or something has done you wrong in the past and you want revenge. There's the mysterious background uh, character arc where there's something, you know, maybe you don't know exactly, you know, who your father was. You know, that's one we see a lot in fiction and whatnot. And you want to you track that down and find out who, who that was. Um, there's the uh, complete a great work uh, character arc where um, you know something something got started a, a long time ago but never got finished and by god you're going to be the one to finish it and that might be you know uh, erecting a monument uh, uh, you know exploring some new place whatever um, so there are uh, I want to say uh, I can't remember uh, uh, like 30 different character arcs that you can choose from and the way these work is you choose a character arc, and that, is, that defines what your character wants to do, just like, you know, if we're reading a book or, or, or watching a show or whatever. And uh, your character arc has a number of different steps. And so what you want to do is you want to move through these steps, because each one of those steps is going to earn you experience. Um, and again, remember, I said there are a number of different kinds of experience. So uh, the kind of experience you're going to get with uh, character arc is called acumen. And acumen can be spent to improve your skills, uh, learn new spells, uh, learn new skills, uh, things like that. Learn secrets. Um, but at the end of the character arc, as you go through these steps and accomplish the different things you need to accomplish, at the end, just like uh, character arcs that we're used to in fiction, there's a climax. And you're going to reach that point, and you know. So if it's well, let's say you you have the character arc where you're you're looking for your lost father, right? And uh, uh, you're you discover as you move through these steps that your father mysteriously disappeared, and then you learn through uh, another step that actually he is held prisoner in this fortress in the red, and it's guarded by. And so the climax of your story arc is you're going to go to this tower and, and try to rescue him. And, uh, and you probably need all your Vizlay friends uh, to help you with that. 
And if you succeed and you get your father out, then you get joy. Remember, we had talked about joy and despair already. Uh, and if you fail, you get despair. And, uh, and so at the, at the, uh, the, the climax of every uh, story arc, I'm sorry, character arc, you will get joy or despair as well as the acumen that I was talking about. And joy and despair um, are an interesting mechanic because if you take one joy and one despair and you combine them, it's called an experience, it's called a, a type of experience by the color crux. And crux are used to advance your character in your order or uh, in uh, other aspects, of sort of bigger, more vital aspects of your character. So you've got these two, basically two different currencies of experience points. You've got the crux, which are joy and despair combined, and you've got acumen. And acumen are kind of, acumen flow pretty freely, and you're, you're kind of always getting lots of acumen, so you're always able to, you know, learn new spells and new skills and things like that. But if you're going to really advance your character in your order um, and make a, a much larger step uh, uh, toward advancement, then you need crux. And, uh, and so anyway, uh, with these character arcs, you can kind of see already it's the players who are going to be driving the action, right? Because the players are going to say, you know, if we go back to the same example we are using before, you're trying to find your father, the, the game master's not going to say, you know, okay, well, you should go here, you should go here. The player is going to say... I'm going to go here to this place where my father last was last seen and ask around. And then, you know, you go there and you ask some people and you're told, oh, right, you know, he, you know, we, we saw him, but he was dealing with some really shady looking characters and maybe even some demons. And, uh, you know, and, and they'll send you to a different place where you can learn more information, right? And, and so as a player, you are being proactive and you are sort of driving the action in that way. And the game master, rather than the game master sort of deciding what the story is going to be, the game master becomes more like a player in a conventional game in that they're kind of reacting to what the players are giving them and 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 feeding them, uh, you know, the the thing, you know, providing them with the things that they need, right? Like if I'm going to go talk to some NPCs, the game master needs to be the one who provides those NPCs for them to talk to. Uh, you know, the game master needs to be the one to provide that tower full of demons. Um, that's the way a, a lot of the action in this game moves along. And uh, now, that, that isn't to say that, that the game master can't drop in, you know, something unexpected, right? And, and, and something that, that comes along that might be of interest to the player characters in a more traditional kind of, you know, an, an adventure with a hook kind of thing. Um, but uh, but that is more the exception rather than the rule. Uh, so character arcs uh, are really important uh, in that way, and because it's the characters that drive the game, that means that character creation is a really important aspect of this game. In fact, the way I kind of look at it is character creation in Visible Sun never stops because you're constantly sort of, uh, uh, you know, getting these acumen to learn new spells, learn new secrets. Uh, you're, you're always kind of moving ahead, and you're always sort of developing that character. But even at the beginning, character creation is, is an involved process. If, if any of you have been in the playtest, uh, you know that, that there's, a, there's a lot to it. Um, and in fact, 
even after you've uh, made all your character creation decisions, right? You've uh, you've picked an order that you're going to belong to, one of the orders of magic, and you have uh, chosen other aspects of your character and picked out some of your initial skills and and, and divided up your stats and everything. There's still uh, there's still character creation to be done, but it's done in a special way. It's called the first session. The first session of every uh, Invisible Sun narrative is uh, where we, we all get together as a group and we finish creating our characters. But, but we do that as a group because it is a participatory kind of thing. And the reason for that is because... Um, in Invisible Sun, characters, uh, where they live and, and uh, specifically their houses are very important. To a Vizle, right, where, where, where we are all uh, Vizle in this game and we're all using magic and whatnot, your house is in, as important to your character as, as anything else. Uh, it, is, it is an extension of you. It is, it is a, a hallmark of even being a Vizle is that you have a house. And because you're a Vizle, because you work with magic and you have all these mysterious things about you, your house is probably pretty weird. Um, and so there are probably secrets involved in your house. Um, like uh, uh, Sean's character, Callahan, who he is, he is cosplaying right now, uh, in his house, um, he all the... All the utensils and the dishes and everything are all animate, and they uh, serve and clean themselves. They, they, they serve up food, clean themselves, and whatnot. That's one of the secrets uh, that he has chosen for his house. He also has a cat watcher. Uh, cat observer. Cat observer, sorry. Uh, and the, So he has a cat um, that wears a top hat that matches his own. Um, and the cat basically never leaves the house but it's always watching over him, and whenever Callahan comes home, the cat can tell him anything that might have happened while he was gone. Um, but, oh well, and then, uh, unbeknownst to Sean, the player, uh, Callahan also had an aspect to his house that he didn't know about, uh, which is that there was a door in the basement that shouldn't have been there. Invisible door. An invisible door, yes. <laughs> uh, and weird, weird things started coming through the door, and uh, we still don't know exactly what's going on with that, or at least Sean doesn't. <laughs> so that's an, that's an example of you know where the the game master came in and uh, uh, also added some stuff that wasn't uh, sort of player initiated, but that came along as as more of a surprise to the player. Anyway, that's a long way around to say Visley houses are weird and cool, um, and uh, once you have your your house sort of designed because you design it and build it much like you design and build a character. You need a place for that house to go, but you don't. As a uh, you know, as a person in the real world, you don't really get to decide you know who your neighbors are and what your neighborhood is like always. Well, it works that way in Invisible Sun too. So in that first session, we as a group all get together and we brainstorm, uh, and, and it, it is a guided process. Um, but but essentially, we uh, uh, brainstorm neighbors and uh, interesting things about the neighborhood, weird mysteries that might be going on that need need addressing and, and whatnot. Um, and and again, all of this also, uh, if it overall affects the character in a good way, they get awarded a joy, even to start the game out with. And if it affects them negatively, they get a despair. 
And uh, so this is, this is a really fun way to have the very first session be one where we are we're talking about our characters, we're kind of getting into our characters, we're discussing, you know, because if, if Sean, if we're going to start to brainstorm what Sean's uh, neighborhood and, and, and things around him are going on, we need to know more about his character, Callahan. And we need, he needs to tell us about that, and we need to integrate all of that kind of thing into what we are brainstorming together. And so you come out of the first session with everyone being kind of invested in everyone else's character almost as much as you're invested in your own. And you, because you've, you've actually come up with um, you know, the, the interesting things that are going on around them. So if we all get together and we say, well, you know, Callahan has this next door neighbor that is this other crazy Vizlay who is always, you know, experimenting with loud sound-based magic and keeping Callahan up at night, um, then everything that happens that regards that, um, you know, in the course of the game, we're all going to feel invested in that, right? Because we came up with that. And so that's kind of why the first session works that way. And once you're done with the first session, you all, uh, and, and you've all talked about what your character arcs are, then you all come together with, with you, you kind of, as a group, figure out what your first uh, uh, single group goal should be based on, you know, like, uh, a very, very common one is uh, we need more information because lots of the first steps of character arcs are I need to find out more about whatever it is that I'm going to do. And so uh, uh, then, then after that first session, the game master goes off and figures out, okay, I'm going to make a cool place for them to get some information. You know, maybe it's a, a weird library located on the outskirts of town, just on the edges of one of these ruined expanses, and there's something weird going on there. And then in the second session, everything begins. So uh, that's, that's kind of how character creation, uh, you know, flows into the, to the narrative of the game. Um, and uh, I want to make sure I've got... Plenty, plenty of time for questions. Um, yeah, I mean, there's hours and hours more to say, but uh, I think I will. I'll stop there for now, and uh, instead uh, open it up to you guys. But what what questions do you have? And it could be anything. Yeah, way in the back. Yep. You mean? Yep. All right. Um, the the war that that happened. Yeah. This looks like a right thing for like vignettes, flashbacks, maybe even a little prologue for the mm -hmm. characters. How much information will we get to, like, who's fighting this war, the effects, who won, who lost, any of that? Will any of that be we don't central? We war. Oh. <laughs> In fact, it's kind of weird that no one seems to ever talk about the war or anything that happened during the war. <laughs> yeah. Um, so one of the things that attracted me to this with a Kickstarter is it felt like um, it felt like a role playing game based off of the works of Kenneth Lee, one of my favorite authors. Oh, cool. uh, and I was, as you were talking about, it, I was thinking, what what storytelling and, and you know literature inspired you? Is there going to be a, a a page of recommended reading for getting your brain into the uh, absolutely. Uh, the so, uh, 
It, uh, so I've referred to Invisible Sun as uh, a game of, of surreal magic, and, and I mean that in a very literal way. So uh, a lot of the surrealists, both uh, artists and writers, uh, were a big influence. But um, sort of more concretely, uh, I would just throw out... Um, I would throw out uh, Alan Moore's Promethea graphic novel series. Um, and uh, uh, 10 o'clock in the morning. Um, <laughs> you know, I would... Uh, actually, Tennis Lee is a pretty good one. Um, uh, her, uh, her series... That was the Lords of the Night. Is that what it was called? Tales from the Flat Earth. Tales from the Flat Earth. Yeah, that was that was really cool. I really like the magic and a lot of that. It's uh, it, that's really cool. Um, yeah, I'm drawing a blank, unfortunately. Uh, but yes, there is going to be a whole series of uh, uh, recommended reading um, and and artists to look at. Uh, Invisible Sun's a very very visual game. Um, and, you know, with the amazing, amazing resource that we have with Google Images, right, I can just give you some really cool artist names that you can, that you can do a search for and suddenly come up with more ideas than you could ever possibly use just by looking at, at some really uh, wild art. Um, and so it'll be a, that, the resources page will be a real mixture of that kind of thing. Yeah. I have a question about mechanics and mm-hmm. a question about the story. So first, the mechanics question, um, if uh, I've got a narrative going and I've started with four players and we did our first session and then right. four or five sessions and I want to add another player, what, how, what would that process be like? Should we do a session 1B? Or <laughs> yeah, but I would, uh, I would absolutely then um, have that new character come in and do the exact same thing as if that new character was going through first session, right? And so uh, he or she would talk about their character and uh, kind of introduce that uh, on sort of a meta level to everyone so that they have enough information um, and and can provide all of that first session sort of material for him or her. And then, uh, and then, and then introduce them as as befits the ongoing story, basically, as you would in another role-playing game. Cool. Yeah. And then the story question actually is just definitions. Can you disambiguate for us Probably between Vislay, <laughs> <laughs> uh, humanity, and mortals? Are all Vislay under the Nine Suns humans? Are all humans Vislay? All humans are not Vislay. Uh, so Vislay call humans that aren't Vislay, they call them nons. And that is meant to be a, a little derogatory, um, because they they don't have the capacity for for using magic and, and casting spells and whatnot. Um, and uh, but they but Visley are human. Um, there are very very rare exceptions of uh, non-human Visley. So uh, to to delve down a little bit deeper, so. Uh, demons are beings without souls, and souls are uh, a very important uh, component to using magic uh, and casting spells specifically. And 
it's more complicated than that, but I'm not going to go deeper than that. Um, but anyway, uh, demons want souls. And so that's why uh, if you go and uh, talk to some demon and want the demon to do something for you, you know, you're a goetic and you summon this demon, um, the demon might want uh, souls or even a portion, a sliver of a soul uh, as, as payment. And the reason for that is because... <laughs> Uh, you know they they are these empty they are these empty beings. Um, in there's a there's a, actually a philosophical term called uh, philosophical zombies. Um, that they, they are they can act just uh, they, uh, like everyone else, but they actually have no what's called they they have, they have no uh, way to interact with qualia. Um, but anyway, uh, they have no souls. They want souls because they want to be able to cast spells. They want magic. They want uh, that kind of thing. So uh, there are the rare demons who have succeeded and gotten themselves a soul and have become a Vizlay. But that's very rare. Um, Elderbrenner never Vizlay. Uh, there's another kind of uh, person. Uh, I, no, I don't use the word race in Invisible Sun. There's another kind of uh, a being that is called a, a lacuna. Lacuna are, uh, they look like human-shaped holes in reality. Um, they, they are totally humanoid and whatnot, but you can just look right through them and you're seeing into some other place. And lacuna uh, have the ability to control what that other place is, and in fact... Uh, they can develop uh, ways to, you know, open themselves up to like a really a, a place full of fire, for example, and, and burst fire out of themselves. Um, but again, they are never Vizlay. Uh, that that is pretty much a, a human thing. Um, is there a night side aspect of Saturnine? Uh, not of Saturnine specifically. So uh, every one of the suns has a night side, um, and uh, and but but the the night side versions are not they're not like mirror images of the the normal suns. Um, they are they are that aspect of the sun, but tinged with with darkness, basically. So the the dark side of indigo are is you know, truths that you don't want to admit to be true, right? Secrets that you don't really want. The things man was not meant to know, that kind of thing. Um, and so uh, there are some pretty, there are some cities and, and, and conclaves of, of pretty good size and some of the night side, uh, uh, some of the night sides of the suns, uh, but there isn't like a, a, a Saturday equivalent. Or someone, yeah, when, uh, with the player characters, Managing or directing the path, uh, as you mentioned. How are the players in the GM uh, going to uh, manage competing this late priority? So, for, for example, um, in your example, uh, hey, I, I, I want to go find out about uh, my dad's mysterious disappearance. And you have another business that says, oh, it really sucks about your dad, but, uh, you know, I, I was robbed by this guy, and I wanted to be taken up on his family. Right. So, uh, one of the things we haven't talked about at all here yet today uh, is uh, what we call uh, development mode. 
which is a whole nother level of play of the game. Um, and the reason that development mode really exists, there's a number of reasons, but one of the main reasons is to address exactly what you're talking about. So uh, the initial steps of lots of the uh, character arcs are things that your character's probably going to do uh, on their own, right? They're, uh, and, and that's the kind of thing that in most games we've just kind of said, well, we, we, we don't want to do that, right? Because if, if Bear is going to go off and, and talk to these people about his missing dad, the other four people around the table are just kind of sitting there and not doing anything. Um, but what we can do instead is go into development mode. And development mode doesn't take place at the table. It's, uh, it's much more casual. Uh, you can do it at a coffee shop. You can do it over text. Um, my group has a Slack channel that we use for a lot of our, our side scenes in development mode. And uh, so we can handle all of that stuff. Because most of that, I mean, that, that, that stuff isn't you know, the kind of thing where we're going to get into action mode and go round by round and whatnot anyway, right? It's, I'm going to go talk to this guy about where Bear's going to go talk to this person because he might know where his father is. Um, and uh, that can all be handled there on the side. Um, and the great thing about that is, is that if you're, yours is a group that can't get, a, get together very often, it's a way to kind of keep the game going because you can do these things on the side and whatnot, you know, email or phone calls or whatever your favorite way to communicate with your friends is. Um, and you can deal with all of that stuff uh, away from the table. And so what you'll do is, like, Bear will, you know, go through a, a couple of the steps kind of on his own while, the, while you know, at the table everyone is doing something else. Um, but but you know away from the table he's doing those things and then finally he'll he'll be like hey guys uh, you know I've just learned that my dad is trapped in this tower filled with these demons I really need your help can you go with me to the red and and help him out and uh, you know presumably uh, you know because they're friends or whatever everyone will say yes or or they'll say. Sure, I'll help you do that if you'll help me go get revenge on these people who did me wrong, and uh, it works out that way. It's kind of a question, um, maybe for you and or for Sean. Um, there's a lot of things that are just fundamentally different about the way the game plays out, but I'm curious, within the bounds of secrets you can reveal, how it feels different as a player uh, to be going through all of this. We've heard kind of the designer side of it. I'm curious, you know, how so, yeah, we are really enjoying playing this game. Like, in theory, we could have stopped playtesting a couple of months ago, just because we were, were wrapping up, you know, that aspect of it, but... We're not playtesting anymore. Yeah, we're just having fun. And it's really fascinating to see, like, the fact that people are talking to the GM, perhaps other players in development mode, and things are happening outside of my knowledge, and then something happens in the game and we're all at the table. Like, Sean's character had this romance going on with the eldest, this potential sort of thing, and so... The storm guy. Yeah. <laughs> and so she had this party where she was going to destroy this thing that she had built, this beautiful destruction party. And so I was just there because I happened to be the guy who runs a lot of parties for the group. And then the elder shows up and he's got flowers and I'm like, what is going on with you? Are you a thing? And so it's just, it's really fascinating that the GM is not just pushing information at 
the group at the table. There's a, a to and fro, and everybody has their little side scenes and their plots going on. And it just makes me realize there's so much going on, not just in the world that I don't know about, but like among my group of friends. And we're just kind of taking turns, having a dominant role in the narrative, and sometimes it's a shared thing, and everybody's connected, and it's just, it's, yeah, it's great. But it also sounded like a very emotional situation. It wasn't just something that you felt like, oh, okay, this kind of sucks perhaps for my character. But I know from what Jonna said, it was a very, very emotional interaction and something that you really, truly feel as part of your character, not just, eh, I lost a hand or whatever. <laughs> I think the way it's built you are so much more invested in the in these characters, not just your own, but also the ones you're playing. It's probably worth mentioning. Um, not all of the character arcs are are as straightforward as the examples that we've given. So Shauna's character started with the fall from grace uh, <laughs> character arc, where on a sort of meta level, she decided that her character terrible things were going to happen to her character. In fact, Fall from Grace, can't, you can't end up with joy at the end of Fall from Grace. But then there's a re- redemption arc that you can take after that, where you can kind of pick yourself up off the off the ground. Um, and so, yeah, it, it does lead to some kind of emotional sorts of things. I mean, there are you know there are romance arcs. There are uh, lots of lots of different kinds of character arcs that can drive whatever kind of play that you want to to have. And uh, uh, you know, it, it's a lot of uh, uh, role-playing opportunities, I think, um, that maybe maybe you haven't always uh, had the opportunity to have before. Yeah. Uh, two questions. Okay. One is, uh, travel between the different suns along the path of suns, how common is it really? And the second question is, just, it's kind of riffing off of what uh, you've been talking about. Um, was a central design goal of this to get away from the party concept and more to a community concept in the way the part the way the players interact because it seems like everything points towards community. Um, yeah, uh, I, I, I will say I'm answering the second part first. Um, yes, uh, that's probably not not a term I would have thought to use, but but I think I understand what you mean by it and. You know, the, the goal was to be able to make stories like the kinds of stories that we read in books or watch in TV or see in movies or whatever. Um, and and those stories are always character-driven, right? That it's, it's based on what the characters want. Um, and uh, But because it's a group activity, we have to have... While we have individual character arcs, we still have to have... Uh, a, a group involved, right? We have to have multiple characters. In my, in a way, like it's one of those books where you read, and you know, chapter one is about from one character's point of view, and chapter two is from another character's point of view. But eventually, you know, by chapter six, the characters have come together and they're all interacting. But you're introduced to them all individually, right? And then they might split up again and come back together again. That's kind of the flow that I see of the game. And, and, and I can see what you mean by that having a, a community sort of aspect to it. It's not like well, we are a party of adventurers and we just kind of go from town to town and, and, and do what, uh, you know, do everything together kind of thing. Um, I, I want to make those bonds as, as non-artificial as I can. And in fact, in the game, one of the, one of the character creation aspects that you'll do is you'll, you will create character bonds 
You'll create. You'll decide what is the relationship that I have with these other people in this group, and it will have mechanical meaning. So if you know, uh, it, well, in, in my group, for example, two of the characters are cousins, and uh, one of the characters kind of has sort of a platonic crush on another character. Two of the characters knew each other when they lived in shadow. And so they, everyone kind of is connected to at least one other person, and you sort of develop this web, which is, you know, exactly the way sort of groups of friends really actually work. Um, and, uh, you know, and then eventually sort of it, it cements as a group. Uh, but anyway, that's, uh, that's that community aspect. But you asked about the sons, too. I did. I, I Real quickly... Um, so uh, there are a number of different ways to travel along the path of suns. Uh, the, one of the most common are sunships, which are these sort of giant, intelligent, almost kind of dirigible-like creature vehicles uh, that move along the path of suns on their own, but are willing to take passengers with them. Uh, that's the way, uh, for sure, non-Buzle travel the path. The, the path. Um, it is not very common for non-Vizlay to travel that much. It is very common. All, all Vizlay pretty much walk the path of suns. Um, and they can do that through sunships. There are spells, there are rituals, there are gates. Uh, all kinds of different ways to get from, from uh, sun to sun. <coughs> um, that is probably all the time we have, I'm afraid. I'm sorry. Uh, it was a fast hour. Um, I, I hope um, if you... Uh, uh, we're not a Kickstarter backer. or have picked up your pre-order. Invisible Sun is available for pre-order from MontyCookGames.com. Um, we are very excited about this game. It's going to come out at the beginning of next year. And uh, I hope you will all join us. This podcast is not affiliated with Monty Cook Games. It is here for information and entertainment purposes only. Music is by Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com. 